0: Hello podcast listeners, this is the latest educational podcast and the newest educational podcast called the Georgia High School Principals Podcast, which is a podcast by high school principals for high school principals and all educators of Georgia. I'm your host, Jim Finch, and I'm the principal of Mary Persons High School located in Forsyth, Georgia. Our mission and vision of this project is to interview high school principals across our state for the sake of professional learning Thanks again for listening to the Georgia High School Principals Podcast, and feel free to use the preferred format of your choice, and don't forget to like, listen, and share. Today's podcast is Season 1, Episode 15. We're taking a break from our normal series of interviews with current or sitting principals, and so for this episode and others like it, we're interviewing former principals who are now in different educational roles or in jobs whose duties support the work of high school principals. Today's guest for episode 15 is none other than Mr. Buddy Costley. He's the executive director of the Georgia Association of Educational Leaders, known as GAIL, here in Georgia. How are you today, Mr. Costley?
1: I am great, and I'm proud to be here, Jim. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you for joining us, uh, as always. And uh, we've been trying to have Mr. Costley, Mr. Buddy Costley, here on uh, the Georgia High School Principals podcast for a while. And he is uh, hes in his first year as the uh, Gale Executive Director. And uh, we're excited to have him here. And I know that all our listeners will be excited to hear what he has to say. So every time we have a candidate or a guest on here, uh, we go over their educational uh, resume and background and go over a couple of other things like why is it that they do what they do and maybe some family hobbies and special interests and some other things. So if you could just kind of start us off today with uh, – you know a little bit of your background.
1: Well, uh, the the background is short and sweet. Uh, I was I'm from Bowden, Georgia, in West Georgia, and uh, everyone told me in high school I was going to be an aerospace engineer. So I promptly uh, <laughs> graduated. Uh, you know, let's see how those prophecies come true. I promptly graduated uh, Bowden High School and went to Georgia Tech, and uh, enrolled. And three months later. Uh, Georgia Tech and I kind of amicably depart, uh, you know, parted ways from each other, and we decided it was time to go join the U.S. Navy and grow up a little bit, maybe get a little uh, GI Bill, and uh, served two years in the United States Navy over on the West Coast and served over in the Persian Gulf for one tour, and came back, so starting with a, as an aerospace engineer, became an English teacher. So going from uh, putting astronauts in space to teaching Shakespeare, uh was proud to do that taught uh taught for about four years high school english coached football and coached wrestling which was kind of a unique slot it was kind of it was nice i had you know my son was not quite a year old and so i was easily able to get a job as an english teacher worked for a, a common former supervisor i think to you jim uh mr scott cowart gave me uh, yes. my first job uh and then um after four years i was given the opportunity to go uh, be the assistant principal for Carrollton junior high school under David Hicks who is now the superintendent in Bremen City and then uh, was fortunate enough to be hired as the principal of Rome Middle School and then David Hicks got the superintendency in Hart County and asked me if I'd be his assistant superintendent so I was his assistant superintendent of just about everything curriculum personnel etc etc and then was superintendent in Habersham and Butts County and now I'm in my I think eighth month as the Gale Executive Director.
0: So what is it, what, what's your why? Why is it that you do what you do? Why, why are you the executive director
1: of Yale? Well, I mean, I think it starts out, you know, just as, as the teacher in me, you know, uh, going back to my roots in Biden High School, I'm sure there are teachers rolling over on their desk, even to this day, the idea that uh, Robert William Costley became a teacher, because I was that student that told them that I'm getting out of here. You know, uh, you know I, 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 I don't know that I always enjoyed my educational experience, and I made sure everybody knew that. And um, I grew up, you know, everybody's got a sob story. I grew up very, very poor, raised by, raised by my father as a single father, and uh, he was a very smart man but wasn't educated, and basically he taught me from the time I was little that, I mean, he basically told me, he said, son, I dig ditches for a living. Uh, and he didn't really, I mean, he was an electrician and a welder and a great man, read a lot of books, and he says, but, you know, I want you to have better than I did and of course our family struggled we moved a lot we were one of those transient families moving from place to place town to town and education getting that diploma there's a few teachers about in high school that didn't give up on me and uh, I was able to be the first person from my family to graduate college and so when you say about my why um, I wanted to obviously it started off as a selfish kind of goal I wanted to just not dig ditches Uh, but it also turned into as I matured it grew into a goal of what I could do for my family and what I could teach my kids Uh, the only difference between me and my daddy is a couple of pieces of of paper but having that piece of paper has given my kids opportunities that I wasn't able to have and uh, I really do it kind of sounds corny when we say this but I started to notice right away that there were kids just like me that I was teaching in my classroom or walking in the hallways when I was administrator and it kind of feels good to kind of think that maybe give them the same shot that I had. Okay, you
0: talked a little bit about your family, Uh, just tell us your family members and uh, any hobbies or special interests that you might have.
1: Well, the boss is a kindergarten teacher (laughs) and uh, she, while I was working on my career, she stayed home and did the real work and raised my three kids until they were pre-K age and went back to school and became a kindergarten teacher. And she's been a kindergarten teacher in in, uh, the center of our family for many, many years. Um, And then I have, we have three beautiful children. They're pretty much grown now. I have a married son who just graduated from Georgia Tech so he accomplished what his daddy couldn't and uh, married his high school sweetheart who is in uh, her first year at medical school at Emory University and then my middle child uh, we have a split family my middle child is a junior at the University of Georgia and she's in the red coat band uh, plays trumpet and I've seen a lot of bulldog uh, bulldog contests in Athens because of her journey and then the baby girl is a senior in high school, and she will be a freshman at the University of North Georgia in Oconee, and will live with her bigger sister, and so we kind of follow our kids, and they do great. Okay.
0: Well, uh, we talked a little bit about your, um, just now starting at Gale, and you've been on the job for for eight months now. Um, The big question that I'm sure a lot of people and listeners would want to know is, how is it to replace Jimmy (laughs) Stokes, because everyone knows Jimmy Stokes. Jimmy Stokes has a very big personality. He's the legend. He's the legend. I'm sure there were people that saw that job posting for Gail and said, I'm not going to be the person that replaces Jimmy Stokes. I'm going to be the person that replaced Jim, I'm, going to, I'm, going be, I'm going to replace the person that replaced Jimmy Stokes. So what was it about that posting or replacing Jimmy Stokes that actually interested you in in going for that position?
1: Well, first of all, I want to answer the original question, guys, is how does it feel to replace Jimmy Stokes? <laughs> and the first word that I, I want to say out loud that comes to my mind sitting here at your desk today is it is a great honor. Um, Jimmy Stokes has been a great coach and mentor to me. I've known him for many years. We have common roots. A lot of people may not realize that he was – my mama's boss at west georgia back back in those days west georgia college when he was a professor and then he was the head of the bookstore for a little bit so my mom worked for him when i was a tyke Um, so uh it's a great honor to follow jimmy and jimmy uh, lives and breathes gail and that's it's as to your point it's a little intimidating because what Jimmy has done, uh, he was also Gale president, very involved, his wife was uh, Pat Stokes, very involved. You know, he's the executive director for seven years. It's basically, he was a steward of a great legacy since 1974, and he, he took that legacy personally, guarded it, you know, guarded it with his life, uh, preserved it, uh, left Gale in great shape financially. Uh, membership, membership-wise, very successful. And then basically I show up, and I, I will say to your, also your other, other point is, is I was sitting at my desk, and I saw that posting. And um, those things ran through my mind. It's like you know, it would be tough to follow Jimmy's. You know, I walk around all over the state, and I say, you know, Jimmy's got like a size 15 shoe, and I'm just trying to walk in it. Uh, but I've also said, Jim, that I can't be Jimmy Stokes, so I decided that from day one. I said I'm not going to try to be Jimmy Stokes. I think what I'm going to try to do is be the best Buddy Costly that I can be, and respect the tradition and the um, the culture of Gale. And it's my job as the steward now to make sure that I do what Jimmy did is to is to build it and grow it, and make sure that the next guy who replaces the guy who replaced Jimmy Stokes uh, gets an even better Gale.
0: Excellent question. Excellent, Excellent answer. Thank so. You. I uh, figured we'd kick off the podcast with that. Was that we, the raw one? That's the raw question <laughs> okay, gotcha. we, that we had to ask you there, and uh, uh, I knew we would get the, uh, the the answer that we got. So it sounded <laughs> sounded great. I really liked that one. Um, tell us this: How about your vision for Gale, and how do you think that has taken shape in the first eight months?
1: Well, uh, we've uh, we've I've been extremely pleased. I'm extremely optimistic. Uh, the first thing I had to do before I built a vision for Gale because the vision really can't come from the executive director. I mean, I've got a vision about the way I want to approach this, but really my first goal was to go on a listening tour and find out what the members were saying and what the non-members were saying. Uh, I received several phone calls of congratulations, you know, when the announcement was made back in the spring last year. And then so I took that opportunity to thank them and then ask them, okay, well, what do you think about Gail? What's going great? What's not? How can we help you? What are the members thinking? What kinds of professional learning are they? What kinds of things are are they, what kinds of challenges are principals and assistant principals and superintendents uh, feeling right now that Gail could help you with? How can we feed you? Uh, And that that feed metaphor started to take place, and I think it would kind of be one way to typify this vision that I'm trying to build with our members and what they're telling us, and me and our board and our staff uh, and our affiliates are telling us and what our affiliates need is – just coming out of the superintendent's chair there's a certain thing that i'm seeing in 2020 there's a certain set of challenges things that didn't exist in 1974 when Gale started social media for instance email didn't exist and with those things comes new challenges you know the kind of leaders that we're getting the generation z assistant principal is different perhaps than the veteran Gale member from the 70s or 80s or even 90s so the vision would be is how do we serve leaders that had, are that raised in a different culture, raised in a different generation, and they're all sitting in the same room. I've got those Vet Gale folks, the forefathers and foremothers sitting in the room, sitting in there with the Gen Z kids, who are not kids and who'll be, a, who'll be the boss one day, and they're sitting in the same room, the same Gale conference, but they have different needs and different ways of approaching communication, leadership, uh, You know how they even see what they do uh, for a living. So when you take all those different answers, which I felt was important. If it was just Buddy Cossie's answer, Gail won't do very well. It had to come from the members. And the vision that we have is feeding people who change kids' lives. Like like you, Jim, you're sitting here in the trenches one of the hardest, if not the hardest, job in public education. You're a high school principal. Uh, how do we feed the Jim Finches of this state so that they can change kids' lives? And we talked that even with my accountant folks in the Gail office. You're not just paying bills for... Gale, you're helping principals change kids' lives, and we just transform that way of thinking about what Gale stands for. Gale stands for you know those seven affiliates, that umbrella, and those two associates. How can we make those affiliates stronger? Um, I, I really would love to see us go in a direction where we're not just a place. A lot of times people will say, "Are you going to Gale?" Which I certainly want everybody to go to Gale, summer Gale, winter Gale, but Gale's not just a place that you go. Gale is, is a service opportunity, it's a connection opportunity, it's a learning opportunity. Gail is a way to to be a steward just like me and leave the state in better shape for the leaders that come after us. So you know, maybe create professional learning opportunities that feed some of those challenges that you're facing in 2020 and, Jim, anticipate the challenges that you're going to be experiencing in 2025. We can't just deal with today. We've got to have an eye toward tomorrow. Okay. Um, for
0: someone who might not understand kind of the structure or framework of Gale, just kind of describe for us, you know, the office staff or the board of directors and the affiliates. How, do, how does that all fit up under the Gale umbrella?
1: This was one of my favorite questions when you were sending me just uh, a look over because really nobody ever asks, I appreciate you asking about the Gale staff. There is a group of people, uh, we have uh, uh, eight employees at the Gale office, who quietly chug away in, uh, in our office in Athens, Georgia. They're, you know, the University of Georgia allows us to keep our office there. And they are the ones that register people for these conferences, they're the ones that, um, they're the people, those are friendly faces that are standing at the table when you're picking up your name badge. They're the person that prints the name badge, stuffs uh, the name badge, uh, finds those little conference bags that everybody collects, uh, and stuffs them with the flyers and the programs. They design the programs, they design the websites. So we have employees that design the programs, design those name badges. We have to have employees that do the billing, just like we do at your schools. Uh, we have to, you know, to pay those bills, and they don't really get a lot of face time because honestly, they kind of see their job as they don't want anybody to know who they are. They, you know, if, they know, if people know who they are, that means something's been screwed up. They want it to be so smooth, you just think it just appeared. That's, that's kind of how our staff is, and I'm really proud of them. They've taught me a lot, quite frankly. I use that staff, Jim, you know, as my teacher, because they've been running Gale conferences, some of them for 15, 17 years. The Don Splinters of the world, the John Tippins, the Hal Beavers, Deborah Whites, Dusty Smith. These people have been working for Gale forever, and so they've been teaching me. And then what I do is bring my expertise, whatever that is, from the superintendent chair, and we put that in the bowl, and then we try to, to, try to take care of people's needs. Then we have a board. And I have a, a bigger board than most superintendents do. Most superintendents have a five or seven member board. I believe I have 16 to 18 members. And it's great though, because those board members come from the seven affiliates and the two associates and uh, their president, and then they usually have one other. You now, like for instance, you're serving on our board and you guys voted for me to have this opportunity, which I appreciate, and we meet quarterly. And the goal is, the way I interpret this job, and I think that's the way Jimmy Stokes interpreted this job, is, is it's a symbiotic relationship. If the affiliates are not doing well, Gail doesn't do well. If Gail is doing well, that means the affiliates are doing well. So our job is to serve our members, also support our affiliates and their conferences and their professional learning opportunities and their advocacy opportunities. And then uh, that kind of just kind of goes in that never-ending circle. And that's just the PL piece. I mean, we'll, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. I've been at the Capitol for a month and a half you know, on our advocacy piece, trying to make sure that we get good laws passed, and then the network opp- networking opportunities.
0: Okay. Um, last question about Gail is: uh, What ways do you think being a building level administrator or district level administrator prepared you to be the executive director at Gail?
1: Well, I'll I'll tell it this way in an anecdotal story. So I come out of the superintendent's chair after 11 years as a superintendent in Georgia, and you think about all of the things that we have gone through in 11 years, furlough days, layoffs. I think back to my AP days when I had to miss my own child's ball game sometimes so I could go supervise a band concert for other people's kids. And every time that I I did that, kind of the – the, the punch that you take, you know, the, the weight that you bear serving other people's children. But then that's where the honor comes from. That's where the, you know, you're, you're serving something greater than yourself. So all of those experiences come out. And right now, while it's fresh in my mind, I'm thinking social media pressures. I'm thinking instructional improvement pressures. I'm thinking pressures coming from the governor, whichever governor it is. So, you know, whatever the legislators doing with bills that, that on the, in that season is, I've lived through that. And I'd like to think that because I lived through it and I realize that my colleagues around the state are living through similar challenges, that that might help us be able, be, be able to better serve our members because we can relate to that. And I think that's what I've, I've tried to do is get all over the state and speak to RISA's and meet with superintendents and leaders and go to other people's conferences, go to the affiliate conferences and meet as many people as I can so I can learn, what are you worried about? What do you need to know about? What kind of opportunities do you want to take advantage of? Who could, Who could? could? What partners could we bring to the table to help you get your job done? And uh, so I, I can't help but go back to my experience and some of the, my failures also. I mean, I, there's many times where I've failed, where I have fallen on my face trying to do something, and I bet you there's a couple of people that have failed like I have. Well, maybe we can learn from those things and bring resources together uh, to do that.
0: All right, let's move over into um – Legislation, You know, we're in our uh, current session uh, under the Gold Dome. And just kind of talk to us about your lobbying efforts at the Capitol and how connected does the executive director have to be during the legislative session?
1: Well, I tell you what, that connection piece is, is the hustle piece. And that's one of the difficult pieces uh, about following Jimmy Stokes. Jimmy, Jimmy's jimmy been doing this for seven years. He knows these people's names. He's got relationships with them. And the great thing is, is he's offered to help. He's still with us helping us as a policy analyst for Gail, and he's doing that pretty much pro bono. And so if you're hearing this, Jimmy, thank you so much for all your help for me. <laughs> and uh, just spoke with him today at our Gold Dome meeting, uh, talking about Friday legislation. Uh, the connection piece is important because that's what advocates—that's what advocacy is all about. Basically, they're, they're passing laws based on stories they've heard, phone calls from parents or stories from their leadership. And the only way that they're gonna make really good decisions, just like board policy here, or rules that you put in your handbook, those rules are based on things that have happened in the past or things that you don't want to happen. Stories that are in your head that you don't want to happen. So if you're going to if you're going to be able to tell stories and get people to listen to our side of the story. If you pass this bill, this will happen. Let me tell you a story. Let's play chess with this. If you if you if you're going to tell a story, then they need to trust that that story means something. So you have to put money in the bank with them. you got to earn trust. And so I have been hustling, trying to meet as many people as I can. And um, even when I testify on something I disagree with, do it in a way with decorum and do it in a way where it's not an attack. Because if you attack people, they don't want to hear your stories anymore. So i got to find a way to tell them a story, even if I know they're going to vote against it this time, thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to need them next time to listen to another story. And I don't mean story as like getting my way or a lie, I mean stories of impact in the schools, what's going on at Mary Persons High School. Make sure they know what this bill will do to Mary Persons High School and uh, technology. Yeah, and that that was a uh, important call to the high school principal, Mary Persons. That's one thing we learned about the high school principalship you're going to get calls, even on your computer, you'll get a that call. That was
0: a Skype call for some <laughs> crazy reason. So, yeah, we did to shut stops. that one
1: down. <laughs> so, uh, well, and that can happen in the committee. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. We're sitting there trying to have a very serious voucher conversation in the committee this week, and somebody's phone goes off, and that's, that's just the world today. But, you know, uh, the relationships are important. I've also learned one one other thing. You can't wait for it to come to you. You know, I've had to kind of force myself. They're not just all going to come, they don't, they may not even want to know what I think because they want to just pass the law that they want to pass. So we have to up there at the Capitol, we have to be, take the initiative to go make those relations happen, go catch them on the ropes, uh, introduce yourself in the hallway and try to build those relationships.
0: What's something that you learned in your first legislative session?
1: Oh, Lord, what can I tell you on the podcast? Um, (laughs) um, This is a (laughs) family-friendly I've learned a lot of things in the last four or five months. This is what I've learned, and it might surprise some people, is when I watch the legislators or even the governor, who's been really good to us uh, in these last two sessions, I've learned that they have similar challenges to what we do. I've learned that they're probably just like us getting elected from their hometown community. They have all these grand ideas of things they want to accomplish now that they've been elected the senator or state representative and they go up there and and they have to walk through the same hoops that we do. They have leadership that in the parties that may not want to do their ideas. They don't always get their way in their bills and uh, I've learned when you put a bunch of people in the room with a bunch of different ideas and a bunch of different folks calling you that there's going to be conflict of those stories and ideas and um, there's a dance that everybody has to learn how to how to walk the steps of and it could cause you to be cynical and say man this is a dance this you know why can't we just get things done but part of me thinks that this art of people telling their stories and listening and the rules of how we dance with each other if you think about it, Georgia has a lot of good things going for it we have a great state and our government has you know we don't always agree with them but you know we have a safe state to live in and um, we have order in our state and we have economic development we have business we have great things happening in education so the process works but you just have to be willing to deal with the grind of the dance
0: okay let's talk about some bills in public education that we probably need to be most concerned about and I'm just gonna run down a list sure. because I think these are the ones that kind of come to the forefront and if there are others that I've left out here uh, let's make sure that we talk about them so our listeners can uh, hear those too. But uh, like the teacher retirement uh, bill, the test reduction bill, or uh, or the budget that includes teacher raises, dual enrollment, which just passed, I believe, yesterday or the mm-hmm. day before, and uh, and maybe the homeschool bill, um, and even the voucher bill. Right. So um, let's start off with the teacher retirement one.
1: Well, the teacher of retirement is a great way to start because it's also a lesson about what Gale and the affiliates can be about. Um, and this is a story that many of our your listeners may not want to hear because I didn't want to hear it. Uh, this is a story I got. One of the things I learned is uh, I got scolded by a very supportive state representative, a person who's very friendly to public education. And basically he says, uh, you education folks better step it up. And I said, what do you mean, sir? And he says, y'all don't call, y'all don't reach out, you don't contact us. And so when you have controversial re- legislation, you wait till it's already dropped. And we've got all these lobbies up here in our ear, people spending all kinds of money to get their way. And we don't hear enough from you guys. And of course, my side of the story on that is as well, we're working. And we're we're not supposed to use our school email to contact you. So we're kind of in a bind because they're doing business while we're working for the government. So it, it is a reflection of what What the reality is, what I I want everybody to hear on this podcast is we don't call enough. And here's why I think that is. I'm going to get to TRS and why this, I'm going to link these two ideas. We've all heard about the rule about having people call 911. We've all been trained and CPR trained or whatever. You don't just say, somebody call 911. You look at Jim, you say, Jim, you go call 911. Because human beings have a kind of a herd mentality. We've shown many times, if if we write a letter and say, call 911, Everybody assumes what? Somebody else called 911. I don't need to call 911. Somebody did, surely. And then nobody calls. So we do that with our emails too. Contact your senator. Contact your local legislator. Let them know how you feel. And everybody says, yeah, that's a great idea because I'm against that. I'm sure there will be several emails sent. And I'm busy and, I, and they don't say It's not because they don't care. It's because they're working. Or because they just assume like most human beings do that they call. The problem is this is what actually happens. We get Far fewer emails and calls from public educators than we think is happening, so it, it makes the other people louder. So they're going to listen to who's loud. We actually have more numbers than they do, but they hear from them more, so they believe that they're bigger than than we are because we're working, and we're not, and we're not emailing. So TRS is a perfect example of how it does work. I would sit in the first TRS committee of this session regarding the big bill, HB 109, that was going really radically change retirement for new people and change the COLA, the cost of living raise for retired people, for everybody. Very controversial bill by, written by a person who's friendly to, to public education and Tommy Benton. They started that committee, Jim, and they were ill. You could tell the, the stress on their faces. The, I'm talking about the state representatives on the retirement committee. And one of them says – and I got 1,800 emails in the last week. And another one says, well, I got 3,000. Another one says, well, I deleted mine. And it was, it was more bluster than anything. It was really more a reflection of the stress that they were under. But why were they stressed? Because they got 3, 1,800 emails about retirement. Within 40 minutes after I left that committee, when that committee adjourned, Between the time it started and it ended, almost every controversial piece of that bill was stripped out. Why? Because of the stress of getting 15, 18, 3,000 emails, 100 emails. The advocacy matters. Now why is TRS different? TRS is different because you have a lot of retired people who have more time on their hands. (laughs) And and thank goodness for all of us, our, our predecessors are manning the fort for us. Um, So, TRS is a lesson that if we would do that on other issues, our voices would be far louder and that's how I think the advocacy piece, I think we can expand that, we have some ideas for that, we could talk about it another time. Now, in terms of the specifics of the TRS, the good thing is it's because of those emails and the contacts that you and retired people have made. We don't expect to have a lot of change on TRS this year because it's an election year and that that is one of the hills that people are going to die on and it should be uh, in, in advocacy. Um, the big thing I have learned up there is there are a lot of people that are quite frankly just outright just dis- they are spiteful of TRS they don't want teachers to have it they feel they're jealous of it they feel like teachers are getting rich if they get to have it our point is is that these teachers are starting off 37,000 today's dollars it's hard to even buy a house and keep a mortgage up and have anything left over on a $37,000 salary so that TRS is a big part of their pay package uh, down the road but the good thing is, is that bill pretty much is not going to move forward, but it will come up every single year. Okay, what about uh, the one that we just
0: received an alert on was uh, teacher raises in the, in the budget? Well,
1: you've got to give it to uh, the governor. For those of us been around a while, uh, we, we have always heard the opposite. We've had furloughs, layoffs, um, all kinds of things that we've lived through in the recession, and we have a governor who's actually blown his own party's mind. Who's blown the house's mind? We have a governor who's basically insisting no; these teachers are going to get a two thousand dollar raise. I promised them a five thousand dollar raise when I got elected. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. So he gave them three thousand last year, pulled it off, and so there has been kind of a stalemate between the house and the governor's office, pretty and pretty sticky on on the internet, even pretty pretty clear with each other. They don't they don't agree with each other. Um, the thing is, is um, revenue is going. Is not a, what we thought, and part of that's because there was a tax cut two years ago, and that money's not there. The house is really, really convinced that they need to give another tax cut because again, it's an election year, and they made a promise. And the governor is uh, wanting to do something crazy. He's wanting to give teachers raises after they went several years without a raise. Um, so we're hearing that there's a possible compromise. You know, it is my feeling based on my interactions with the governor and what I've seen him say and do is that if we don't get the $2,000 all in one year, uh, the $2,000 is coming. It could be that they compromise and they cut it in half or they kind of phase it in. Um, the question is, is it's gonna be whether the house gives that tax cut or not, which is a $550 million cut. So I, I expect the governor to win that, but he may compromise and, and space it out over a couple of years, or he may not. I mean, right now he's basically saying the teacher's gonna get a $2,000 raise.
0: Of course, we like hearing that. Yes, we
1: do.
0: <laughs> um, let's talk about the homeschool bill a little bit, uh, commonly referred to as the Tim Tebow uh, bill. Mm-hmm. T- tell uh, uh, the podcast listeners uh, what you're hearing about that.
1: Well, this week, uh, you know, as of what's today, March the 6th, yesterday the uh, House Bill 10055, uh, uh, authored by Chairman Rick Jaspers of the Education Committee, was passed out of committee There was a much worse bill by Senator Bruce Thompson that was alive from last year. And we feel, you know, uh, uh, Chairman Jaspers was, we feel like he was trying to kind of beat this to the punch. You know, there's a lot of support in the Republican Party, especially for the Tim Tebow bill or the homeschool participation bill. It seems to be very popular. There are a lot of parents that want it. Uh, So what I think the chairman tried to do is put together a bill that would actually be a little bit more palatable. To, to educators and coaches. You know, GHSA has traditionally not been in support and recently voted not in support, and it wasn't unanimous. Uh, there are a lot of problems that come with that we have not, we're we not accustomed to dealing with. I mean, and each principal would have to find out, you know, like for instance, Mary Persons would have to figure out what that means if a, if a travel ball homeschooler came in and took a spot from a hometown girl that's been walking the hallways at Mary Persons High School. And how that mama's gonna feel. Um, you know, you got issues like, you know, that kid may be who got benched or lost her spot in a cut sport like softball or volleyball, may have been hanging on to school because of that sport and now now doesn't have that reason to, to hang in. Um, some coaches are probably gonna need some leadership because some of them are gonna be real excited. Hey, I get access to other high quality athletes, and, and, and that you got that winning piece, which is important. And, but you also got that student involvement in school piece. The details of this bill is the uh, chairman, uh, the, the bill would require any homeschool student to give you prior notice, 30 days notice before the semester. They must have completed an online course the previous semester before participating. So they got to really want to do this. They would have to participate in an online course, just one single course, uh, facilitated by the school system or through George Virtual School or whatever. Uh, during their participation, and they must pass both of them, they would be subject to not only the code of conduct, but there was an amendment made this week that they would also be subject to all disciplinary measures because we could see problems like, you know, kid gets in trouble and it might be an in-school related type of and the home school kid look at the AP and say, well, you're not putting me in the in-school because I'm homeschooled. Well, the new new version of the bill would give the authority, they would have to subject themselves to the same disciplinary measures as any other child. Um, all eligibility rules would apply. If, if the requirement was to attend a weightlifting class to participate, that would apply. So it's a lot better of a bill than the previous, uh, but I think, and, and quite frankly, Jim, there's gonna be some school systems that are really in favor of this. Uh, so it's one of those things for Gail that's tricky because some of our members really want it. And some, uh, and probably the majority don't, but it's not a, it's not a, there is a split on this.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for the uh, legislative update. And as uh, we always do with all of our guests, um, we gear this podcast to uh, not only just current sitting principals, but aspiring leaders as well. And so this is a segment that we do with all of our guests and uh, we want some type of advice to aspiring leaders that are listening uh, to this podcast. So, what advice would you give to a teacher who was considering a move into educational leadership?
1: I thought about this question on the way in, and um, well, you know, you've probably seen this as well. We've got some phenomenal teachers in the classroom whose skills would not translate well to being a leader. And probably the reason that happens most of the time is they find out that it is far more difficult to supervise adults. <laughs> than it is to supervise kids. Every principal has learned that lesson the hard way. Um, you know, and there are some born teachers that just probably would not enjoy being a, a school leader. And maybe they might have the skills to do it, but it just their passion wouldn't be there. Their passion is for the, for the classroom. And that would be the advice I would give them is, where's your passion? Some people are born to be a leader. I mean, you know, leaders can be made or born, but some people know that that's going to be their goal and they're probably not going to be complete until they are. They have to answer that question themselves. But if they're if they're do, just doing it for the raise, the money, whatever, they may find that they're not going to be very happy. So, I mean, I would give the same advice to them that I'd give to my own kids. Follow your passion. If your passion is the classroom, you're probably not going to be as happy. But if you do take it regardless, just know that um, – supervising adults is harder, and you can't supervise adults like you sometimes manage your classrooms.
0: Okay. You've been an assistant principal and you moved into the principal seat, so what would you say to an assistant principal that was considering uh, applying for principal positions?
1: Well, and it's, it's a, simi- a similar issue. The, um, I think that one of the biggest dangers, a lot of APs are very successful because they're worker bees. They get things done. I mean, all of us have had, you know, you have to be battle-tested. It's kind of like the dues you have to pay when you're an AP. And uh, um, that, that if you're not careful, that won't translate well to being a principal because if you're that person that does it for everyone, you know, I'll get this done for you, take care of it, and they're a doer. When you get in the principal's chair, that, that job kind of changes. You know, your job as a principal is to get a team together and get that expertise at the table and get work done through your people. That doesn't mean you don't work hard, but if you're the one doing all the work and you're used to well, it's be easier for me just to do it, I can do it quicker, you're going to cut off the growth of your people. You're not going to be as effective as you could be because you're so in work mode that you're not in leader mode. And I, I think there's a difference in that. I mean leaders work their tails off, but they don't they, they can't do all the work themselves or they'll fall, they'll drop something. So I think the, the the advice I would give to an AP is to realize that when they get in that chair, first of all, they don't know how that chair will feel until they get in it. We all think we know, but you and I can see you nodding. Both of us have gotten that chair. When your name gets on that school, it is a different different way of feeling. It's like putting on a backpack with 60 pounds of rocks in it that you've never carried before. Uh, and if you get in that, then, um, you know, I'm starting to even grow in my own uh, area of leadership is, you know, my own time span of my career is to get better at realizing that, that the job of a leader is to build a team, and a principle especially is to build a team, and the better that team is and the, the more capacity you build, the more successful you are, and try not to do things all yourself.
0: Um, I think you were on your way back from the um, superintendent's professional development program um. And as you kind of reflect on that and reflect on the the principal's job, do you think we should have something in this state that kind of mirrors what they do for superintendents? It seems like we do a lot of work at getting. We're well, not a lot of work, but. I hear a lot about that superintendent's uh, mm-hmm. professional development. And, it's top notch, and I hear people say it's every time it's top notch. You need to go do this. It's great stuff. I myself, I, I have not participated in it yet, but it's probably been recommended to me at least five or six times by five or six different people. So, when you think about what it took to get into be the principal, do you think we need some more of that type of professional development for? for principals or reflect on your own mm-hmm. professional development as you were getting ready to be a principal. Are we doing
1: enough to prepare the, the principals? Uh, well, you know, you got different phases. You've got the aspiring principal, someone that wants to be a principal, and then you've got the early early career principal. And then this is where I think we have to be careful. You've got veterans like us where it would be easy to sit in a chair for a long time and get stagnant because you've done things the way you've always done it, and you wake up one day and you find out you're not growing. So I'm a big believer that you've got to, if if you're not being pushed to grow by the people around you, you got to have something inside you that has to recognize that stagnancy. And I think one of the ways, to your point, to do that is to create more opportunities to um to widen perspective through courses. I think that's what SBDB does a good job of is that they, they bring speakers that talk about topics or think about topics in a different way that they're not accustomed. Uh, today, for instance, the word was, you're gonna think about this different this time. Now you're gonna think about it from a superintendent's point of view. You've thought about it from a principal and teacher's super, uh, point of view, but now you're gonna think about it differently. You gotta go up a little higher to think about that. And there is a different mindset. The issue though, is that that space is getting full? Every Risa I know is trying to do an, uh, a leadership academy and doing some great work. You got Gail doing an, uh, aspiring leaders. Hal Beaver has been doing that for uh, 15, 17 years. You got GOSA doing leadership academy. And I think the reason they're doing that is because of what you said, the need is there. Um, but it, I think what my part in this is what I'm trying to develop is, is try to work on some micro skills. Like there may be some things that, that, that are just killing. APs and principals in the field that are getting to the superintendent's desks, you know, just you know, it could be executive coaching, it could be, it could be dealing with conflict, it could be how to have a hard conversation and keep a teammate, you know, little bitty micro skills that are really trainable things. It's just, you don't have to get lucky with a personality. Uh, but yes, I do think the training is needed. In fact, the training is so the training need is so big um, that there's plenty of space. But I, I want to make sure we just emphasize that point is that. Um, uh, there are different levels that new, that new person needs something, but I also think those veterans need continued training to, to, to balance their perspectives.
0: Okay, last question. How important do you think involvement in a state association is with regards to aspiring leaders or even current principals? I mean, why should I be a member of GASSP? Why should I be a member of GALE?
1: this this question i know i know we're rough on time this question gets me fired up because when you're going to follow jimmy stokes and you're going to be the executive director of Gale and you realize what that actually means and i've actually had some wake-up opportunities since i've gotten this job where i thought why didn't i realize this even a year ago here's the point we are all putting our heads down in our work we're working our tails off in our little communities in our little schools in our little offices but above us and i see this every day in atlanta Above us, there's something far bigger going on here. We've got to take care of our kids back home, but we're also leaving a legacy. When we are gone, the nature of this state and its view on public education is going to be shaped by the work that we do. If we don't engage, what I have found out, other people are engaging for us, and they may not be engaging in ways that that we realize if we don't engage then we don't shape we're going to get shaped by someone else and the other thing is is that we all want to be fed and i'm a big believer even if you go just our personal lives our religious lives whatever if we just go to work and we just think we're doing a job and we forget our why if we get that meaning behind us um, it starts to get stale we start to get hollow and we start to just we don't grow and we can feel it and the stress doesn't have a reason anymore um when you go and you become a member of GASSP or GAIL or any of the other affiliates, you, uh, you you are reminded that you are a part of a giant family. And you are, given, you, you, you are with a family that's going through the same challenges that you are, but you're also reminded of the reason. You're talking to people in the stories that they're doing and you realize, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that. I'm a part of the history of this state. I'm a part of the future of this state. And what I'm doing is making a difference. And I think that meaning, uh, behind what we do, will put a hard day in perspective, and I'll tell you what. Since I've been doing this job at Gale, I've had more conversations in my own head about if I had thought about it this way just one year ago, I could have been a better leader. You know, just you know, critiquing myself. So I would say, if you join Gale and you join GSSP, I would also say you're going to be a stronger leader because who doesn't want a connected leader? If you're not connected. How can you leave? Because that's by definition, you are connecting people together. And a lot of times, I'll tell you, I'll I'll close it this way: the biggest revelation that I've had in my career is that I am not good enough to have all the good ideas by myself. But the more people that I connect with, I find if we if we get together and get some good folks like Jim Finch in the room, we can get us some good ideas. How about that?
0: (laughs) You got a lot of faith in Jim Finch. (laughs) Well, buddy, I sure do appreciate you joining us for episode fifteen. Uh, This is our first season for the uh, Georgia High School Principals Podcast, which is a podcast by high school principals for high school principals and all educators in Georgia. I want to remind all our listeners that my name is Jim Finch, and I'm the principal at Mary Persons High School in Forsyth, Georgia. I want to thank Mr. Buddy Costley. He is our new executive director of Gale, and he's been doing a fantastic job. uh, And he did a fantastic job today as our guest on Episode 15. So thank you, Buddy, for taking time. Thank you for having me and uh, sitting down and talking with us today about the critical issues that face uh, administrators in Georgia. So, as always, podcast listeners, please feel free to share this podcast on all platforms of social media, and we look forward to recording future podcasts with other principals in our great state and other educators in in our great state. So, for now, we are signing off, and thanks for listening.